and welcome to the Recovering God podcast. This is a platform for people to explore issues that affect the faith lives of Christian women. We hope you find this episode interesting. Well, Grace, we've got a big announcement this month, haven't we? We have some sad times ahead because Grace, after committing to doing the Recovering God podcast for a year, has decided that she needs to stop doing it, which is very sad for me and for you. Grace, do you want to tell us a bit about why? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm being made to explain myself. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Abandoning (laughs) us. Oh, don't say that. Um, I love doing the podcast. I'm very sad to be stepping back, but um, just needing to take some time and uh, assess the different things that I'm doing and and find a bit more margin in my life. Uh, a bit like Nicholas Lee was talking about Sabbath and all of that. And mm. um, yeah, like I say, time and and um, and space in my diary to uh, replenish and all of that. Quite so, right. Um, sadly, that has meant some things have to have to be uh, put on hold for a while. And sadly, recovering God is one of those things. But I'm really sad to be stopping. And I feel like I'm abandoning you, Alison. But I'm not. No, of course you're not. You bring out the best um, of me, Grace. We all we all know that. <laughs> not at all. And I'm really looking forward to. I'm definitely going to be still listening to Recovering God because um, it's. I have to say it. It was not my idea, listeners, as you know. It was entirely Alison's idea. And it's such a brilliant platform. And um, and I hope that, that people are getting as much out of it as Alison and I are. But yeah, all credit to Alison for coming up with the idea and making it happen. And um, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it, it needs to uh, continue and go from strength to strength, I think. Bless you, Grace. Right. Okay. So that's the sad thing. Moving on to who we're talking about today. And this is your last interview. Yeah. So this month, we are uh, listening to Laura Neal, who is the founder of You Belong, which is an online community um, specifically for um, Christians who uh, have disabilities or uh, chronic illnesses. And she talks to me about uh, disability and the church and particularly um, online church, which is a really uh, important thing to be uh, reflecting on at the moment, I think. Mm, Absolutely. Right. Let's have a listen. Let's. Laura, hello. Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> Just to start us off then, I wonder if you could tell us about yourself, something about your history and what shaped your faith. Yeah, sure. So um, I am 27, nearly 28. I live in the east of England uh, with some of my family. I'm one of five siblings and uh, have four extra nieces and nephews and another one on the way. So that's exciting. Um, And yeah, I think there were probably four key events that I would shape my faith. Um, So first of all, as I said, I was raised in a family and with a Christian family. So having my faith already built within me. Um, when I was in school, I experienced a lot of bullying. And although that was hard at the time, it definitely shaped my faith because I had to go through that 
Um, and I'm, to be honest, looking back, I'm not surprised I was bullied because I was literally walk around the playground with my hand out holding Jesus' hand, which looking back on it now, probably wasn't the best thing to do. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there was that. And then when I was a bit older and I moved out, I went to lots of different churches trying to find the right one for me and got to experience a lot of different liturgies and faiths and ideas, which also helped shape my faith. Um, a little bit later on, I went to university and I studied theology and clearly had to go through a lot of different progression of different things there, which really, really shaped my faith. And finally, my chronic illness and becoming ill um, was a massive roller coaster where I really had to deal with some big questions and some doubts. But eventually it has made me who I am today and helped give me a better idea of who God is in the real world and within chronic illness. I'm going to ask you a little bit about God in a second, but I wonder, firstly, would you call yourself a Christian feminist and why or why not? I think it's a hard question, partially because of the term itself. Uh, I think a lot of people misconstrue that to mean that you're anti-men. And I think that that's something that's made massively mistaken. Um, And so in terms of the actual definition of feminist, I would say that I definitely am because I'm pro-equality in men and women. Um, And specifically with a Christian context, I think within the church, there are so few Christian leaders who are women. And I think there is a massive issue there. So I think summing up, I I guess, yes. (laughs) And this is quite a tricky question, um, but you were talking about how... um, particularly your chronic illness has um, most recently shaped your faith. And I wonder what would you say is your image of God at the moment or what do you call God? Yeah, so I think he's always been he to me. Um, But then I've also always had really great male figures in my life who have been really great loving people, real great protectors, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that we know of God. So being able to use the he and the father is very easy for me. As I got a bit older, and especially whilst I was studying theology, it became much more complex because he was something that was far beyond my understanding and out there somewhere. But then, as you say, since becoming ill, it sort of changed everything. And actually reading Nancy Iceland's book, The uh, Disabled God, and finding out about God and actually how he's still perfect, but he came and he had these flawed bodies that we have too. And it just gave this whole idea to me of what perfect means and how God can be perfect and yet still have this broken body that people of the world today would view as broken, but actually is just is perfect and my body is the same. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you. I think a, a few of our listeners are probably going to go out and try and look up <laughs> Iceland if they don't already know about her work. Um, And you set up You Belong in uh, 2019, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Not so long ago. No. I wonder if you could tell us what is it, what was it about your experience that led you to set up an online community? How did that come about? Yeah, so I have experienced multiple styles of church um, and a lot of that was before it got ill but I was aware of how many people were saying it's to do with your chronic illness that you're not getting better because your faith isn't strong enough or you haven't prayed enough and you don't fit in here because you're not getting better Um, and I knew there was something not right there and when I became really unwell and ended up being mostly homebound and bedbound I realized that I was completely separate from the church community and no one was coming to find me And so I set up You Belong as a way of connecting, supporting and empowering Christians with chronic illness and or disability um, to give them a place to come together, to have shared ideas around life with chronic illness, but also just to be the church online. That's a a really sad story, but a wonderful thing that's come out of it. Um, Are you able to tell us quickly what it is that You Belong does? What do you um, offer to your, your community online? 
Sure, yeah. Um, so at the moment, we are mostly online community focused, i.e. building the church online. But I am very much focused on the community aspect. So although COVID has brought around a lot of online church, um, you can go and find the service anywhere. And it's about the connection that really matters to me and about relationships. And so it's about doing the Bible studies together and chatting about life together and the ups and the downs of chronic illness and faith and just being a Christian on the world and at the time. Um, and so it's that kind of stuff that really matters. But the other thing that I do is advocacy and raising awareness of these people within the bigger church to make sure that those people are more inclusive for people with chronic illness and disability, both in the physical church and also on the online church, and hopefully eventually connecting the two together. So if there was someone online living in Portsmouth, for example, um, and part of the online community, we could connect them with someone in Portsmouth, the physical church who could come and see them face to face. They have both options. Mm, that's great what you provide and also your vision for us as well. Yeah. And you mentioned COVID. We can't escape <laughs> those times and about to go into a second national lockdown just to Indeed. put this in a period of time. With lots of churches moving online, do you think that this has had an impact on people living with disabilities and chronic illnesses? Has it led to a more understanding of their situation or, or do you not see that happening? I think originally we had quite a few people from You Belong who left the online group um, because they had their physical church they used to go to eight years ago or whatever it was before they became unwell that they could no longer go to. And they were excited because they could be part of that community again. Um, but I've realized again recently that either those churches are not doing those things anymore because they didn't like it or it wasn't working for them or the bigger population of their church, or they were doing that, but it just wasn't accessible to people. So, for example, Zoom is great, but for someone who's deaf, unless, of course, you've got a sign language interpreter, it's just no good for them. And so churches are doing what they feel is good, but it's generally still for the wider population and actually trying to get them to realize that online church is great when it's done properly. And actually, the online church is still church is actually a really hard battle that we're still trying to fight. Mm. Would you say that because churches predominantly are led by able-bodied people, for want of a better term, or yeah. people who aren't living with a disability or um, a chronic illness, mm. that means that they are at home or, or aren't able to access um, services in, in the way that, that outside yeah. of COVID times they're generally done? Yeah. Um, then do you think that because there's quite a blinkered view, people don't take into consideration the experiences of people with disabilities and chronic illnesses? Um, yeah. And so they're overlooked entirely? Or do you think they, this is a very long question, I'm sorry. But yeah, <laughs> no, that's fine. They are aware of, you know, like you say, you could have someone signing on a Zoom, yeah. maybe. Do you think people say, well, we're not going to cater for that because that may be one person, so we're not going to worry well, definitely definitely and I think that's not even just online I think that's offline a lot of churches say well, we don't need a disabled toilet because we don't have disabled people but maybe you don't have disabled people because you don't have a disabled toilet so yeah I think it's definitely true that they're generally I mean that's very general um still catering to the majority and not the minority of people who might need that so yeah mm. you say on your website that the church in general is not ready to support, care for, or work alongside people who live with disabilities and chronic illness. And we've touched on a little bit, just a little bit of that already. Yeah. But I wonder, as a specifically as a woman with chronic illness yourself in the church, mm. what particular obstacles or barriers or experiences have you encountered or that you've seen others encountering from a woman's perspective? Do you think there is yeah. a... Is a unique experience there yeah so I think but you've partially said already that often it's led by 
often able-bodied people, but also men, a majority um, of leaders in the church. And I think as somebody who's chronically ill, I've gone to the doctors multiple times and they've said, oh, it's in your head or it can't be that bad because you wouldn't be sitting here like this now. And I think that's very much the same where you go to a church and they don't believe you. Um, you there's a problem with trust, I think, and believing in women in, in a bigger picture. But with chronic illness, you come in and you're just a broken person and they just don't know what to do with you. And there is this mentality of men and women um, being separate and with women having their problems that men don't get involved with. And I think that is where chronic illness definitely comes into it. It's a bit of a women's thing um, and not something that men tend to get involved with, I think. Mm, that's really interesting. Like, um, and I suppose as we don't see many women leading, you see even fewer women with disabilities or chronic exactly. illnesses leading. Yeah. So at Recovering God, we really strongly believe that the church misses out when women's voices are silenced or marginalized. And we've heard from other guests that often in the fight for equality and for um, uh, for women to be in leadership and to be heard more, some groups of women get left behind or overlooked. Usually it's quite a white women's mm. focus as well, uh, as feminism can be. Do you see that women with disabilities or chronic illnesses are some of the women who get overlooked in this fight for women in churches? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it def definitely does um, to the, the congregational level, but definitely higher up because um, a lot of training colleges. So I went to a training college um, and I studied theology. And at the time I was basically able to carry on as normal but as I got more and more ill I couldn't go back and do the same course now partially purely because the course doesn't have um, the building sorry that the course is running doesn't have ramps it's up staircases it's in tight doorways and if you can't train to be a minister <laughs> you can't be a minister and then if you become a minister in a church as a woman chronic illness and you're told to go up onto the platform and there's no ramp and you, you're in a wheelchair, then that's physically not possible. So there's definitely so many ways, as well as the theology that we use around um, going back to Genesis and the Levites and how they have to be perfect in sacrifices. Um, it goes back to that and what is perfection, really. Um, and women, especially in those situations, we're already a minority as women and then a disabled minority on top of that. So, yeah, for sure. Do you have any examples of churches where you've seen really good practice in this, in supporting people? Um, yeah, I think it's it doesn't come down to a particular denomination or area or um, individual church. I think it is those churches that have a pastoral heart and those who are willing to listen, basically. Uh, if you're willing to listen, then people who are in need and want to share um, they're struggling and what they can do to have help and to be able to attend a church and those who are then willing to carry that out. Um, and I think without that, then any church, even if they have the biggest budget and all the best ramps and equipment are just not going to be accessible and inclusive. Um, and you talked about in your experience about um, being in churches where you heard that you have a chronic illness because you don't have enough faith. What would you say to somebody who wants to pray for your chronic illness to be healed mm. what, what what would your response to that be you, do you do you think that praying for healing for disabilities and chronic illness is a good thing to do or it's not about that 
Yeah, I think that definitely comes down to the person. So for me, at the start, it was something I was desperate for. Anybody who would pray for me, I was I was very happy for that to happen. Um, when it started not working, so to speak, um, I then started getting worried because I was embarrassed if it doesn't work, what that person is going to think, um, whether that's about me or whether that's about them, that something's failed and I am not better. Um, and then it came down to re-understanding what healing meant. Um, it's not cure is very different and so if someone wants to ask for healing for me for wholeness which is what we should be trying to aim for as, as Christians and you know trying to be the best we can be in whole in God's eyes not in human eyes um, then that's fine uh, if they're asking for healing to practically cure me of something there are days when I'm in excruciating pain or really struggling and in those situations if someone wants to pray for that particular symptom then that's great and I'm more than happy for that to happen but overall, this is now who I am. And if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't be doing You Belong. So there are definitely different terms and conditions and different people would feel different ways about it. But yeah, that's sort of my sort of general understanding and thinking around it. Do you feel like there's a sense that um, if they do hold the theology that God heals people and, um, you know, miraculous healings happen, do you think the ongoing presence of disabled people makes other people uncomfortable yeah definitely and I think even before I was because I became unwell um after being able-bodied for quite a while um so I sort of seen both sides of that and even when I was younger I used to see someone in a wheelchair and think oh I can't really speak to them because I don't know what to say and I can't fix them and you know it just makes you feel awkward and so I can definitely understand that um, and I think that's part of what we hope to do is by changing that narrative around what disability is and what it means and these people are just normal people and it's just part of who they are. And we just need to find the right ways to include them and just have them as one of us. Mm, that's really helpful. And for the younger you who <laughs> looked at someone in a wheelchair and didn't know what to do or what to say, yeah. what advice do you think you would give to young Laura now with the experience that you have? Yeah, I think it would definitely be just allowing them to speak what they want to speak um, and not not judging them, not thinking anything about, oh, they haven't done this right, otherwise they wouldn't be this way. Um, just seeing them as another person and speaking to them, making sure it's speaking to them and not to their carer or their parent or guardian or whatever it is, um, and actually making them feel that they're welcomed and included and loved and just part of the, the community, not making them feel like they're something else, someone else, someone beyond the rest of everyone. Thank you. That's really helpful. You have a blog on your website. and Yeah. The last two blog posts that you've written have been very, very personal about your faith, particularly, uh, and about a process of deconstruction and reconstruction that you're going through at the moment. Mm. Um, I'm just interested in that, really, and yeah. how that's going and, and what, um, what hope you see in it, I suppose. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very frustrating because I'm a fixer and it, it doesn't just happen overnight, unfortunately. Um, so I'm still in that phase of trying to work out what this means. And I, I really rushed into the reconstruction. So when I realized one day I woke up and my faith was almost gone, like I just had no idea what was going on. And I realized if I don't have a faith, then I can't do you belong. If I can't do you belong with my identity in because I can't do anything else. Um, and so I really had to try and work this out. And I realized if I fixed the faith, I fixed the rest of it. But trying to rush into reconstruction before deconstruction, it just didn't work. So I think I'm really in the very early stages of reconstruction after the deconstruction part of trying to really go back to basics and say, OK, God loves me. 
okay, I know that, but I don't know that. And having to really go back to basics. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm really early. There's definitely something there again where I feel I can reach out to God, where before I was any any word of God and I just turned aside because I just couldn't hear it there was so much hurt in there that I tried to suppress all this time around being ill but just around I'm I'm doing theology I'm doing you belong and almost distracting away from my own personal faith and so trying to come back to that um, really has been the way that I've gone forward from here yeah do you belong to a church or do you are you fed in any other way or is it purely through the you belong community at the moment which you are obviously leading <laughs> yeah so I I am I am part of a church um I'm fairly new there so it's still the first year of being there um and so I think in that way I never connected before COVID happened so like I was saying with online church online church services are great but they lack that connection and so for me I don't feel personally connected to a church at the moment but because I've been doing you belong for almost two years now um there are a lot of people there that I've spoken to and got to know and I can sort of share my own things with and so that's been really really helpful Mm, that's great to hear thank you um I'm going to ask you the last question then yeah (laughs) that's fun that we ask everybody um Laura what do you think is the most important issue affecting Christian women today yeah I think I've basically covered this already to be honest so I'm sorry um but basically yeah it's it's around equality um especially for women with chronic illness and disability if we can improve training in the first place and allow women with um, chronic illness and disability to train um, then they can also be leaders in the church and I think that having leaders with chronic illness and the battles that we have with our faith and just with life in this sort of world um, I think can really bring a whole lot of richness Um, lament is something the church is not good at and a lot of people with chronic illness are really great at because it's something we struggle with so much and so I think that's something we can definitely bring to the church Um, just just bringing more women in being uh encouraging them and helping them to to get into those positions of leadership within the church that's brilliant thank you so much laura thank you so much for talking with me today it's been a pleasure to have you thank you so much it's been lovely to speak to you so alison what did you think i thought she was very lovely and but the thing that struck me first of all was um, I loved it that she told us her age. She's even yeah. younger than you. <laughs> and she puts us to shame, doesn't she, rather? she's um, There she is. She started this incredible thing. She's got a chronic illness and she's made this community online and set a church up, which is just phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much motivation there and um, it puts us to shame a little bit. <laughs> So uh, when you asked about Christian feminist, she said uh, she talked about that stigma um, that's associated with being uh, a feminist, which was interesting. I was at a meeting recently and somebody said, uh, I don't mind studying the Bible um, and looking at women's passages, but I don't want to become a feminist. (laughs) 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 It's just like, oh, here we go again. So it's interesting, isn't it? People believe in equality, which is what feminism is all about, but they don't want to become angry, which is fair enough. But that's the kind of 19, what is it, 1980s image of what a feminist was. Um, yeah. And we're still stuck with it. It needs changing. We need to become friendly feminists, not angry feminists. <laughs> and there is a place for anger, I think. But, um, but yeah, there's that. She said there's a stereotype that, 
um, feminists are man haters, didn't she? Mm. Um, and it, it reminded me of right back to our first interview with Katie Lockie, where she talked about being a Christian and a feminist is like not really belonging in either place. So she talked about when she's in her Christian circles, they talk negatively about feminists. And when she's in her feminist circles, they talk negatively about religious women. And it's um, it's really difficult to walk that line between the two, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think about her stuff about building an online community? I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, it's it, the story of how she got there was sad though. The the feeling that she had in her um in her physical church community that um you know that that really dangerous theology that if you haven't been healed of something in a physical sense then you don't have enough faith. Um I think we see that theology creeping in in so many places and it's really harmful and and pushes people away and I wonder how many people in you belong um have been affected by the same kind of teaching um but the kind of stuff that they offer is is brilliant it's so um so um well-rounded she was saying they do bible studies and they sort of just do life together but she also does advocacy and then she was saying about um, connecting people who are part of You Belong with physical churches in their area and having people come and visit them, which is a really, really lovely thing because she isn't saying we stand against physical church expressions. She's she's looking to make those connections and bring about community. I really like the idea that people could be supported online if they needed to be and also incorporated into a church if that's what they wanted it Mm. is really sad that again and again we see a a lack of healing as somehow an inadequacy on someone's part it's well it's so dangerous isn't it but the whole thing about healing is so complicated anyway I mean you know Jesus didn't have any problems he just people it seems to me like whenever jesus heals somebody it is for a different purpose than just the physical healing of that person do you know what i mean yeah so it's the thing about wholeness that she was talking about wasn't it yeah so healing isn't about curing necessary healing can be about wholeness yeah definitely so what what do you think about healing Alison where where do you stand on it at the moment I really struggle with the healing issue and I haven't to be honest I haven't done much reading about healing I've heard a lot of sermons about healing some of them that make me feel quite uncomfortable especially the message that says if people aren't healed it's because they're sinful or they've done something wrong because I don't think that is the gospel message that doesn't strike me as being the right message I mean, we know that that Paul in um, the New Testament had, a, what did he call it, a thorn in his flesh? And we don't know what that is, but we assume that that's something that was difficult for him, whether that be physical or emotional, spiritual, whatever it was, but he wasn't healed from that. We know Timothy had some kind of illness because Paul told him to have some wine for his whatever it was. So he had something that he wasn't healed from. Mm. 
and healing isn't just about physical is it there's just so much more than physical there's emotional and spiritual and it's it goes even broader than that too it it's socioeconomic as well healing goes right out to um power relations because if you think about a lot of illnesses that people suffer today many of them are directly linked to poverty yeah and other issues that are directly linked to the hierarchies and the power structures that there are in the world yeah um or people's living conditions or pollution yeah the amount of people yeah. whose deaths are attributed to pollution is astonishing mm. and these are you know it's it would never be i don't believe in a god who would just want to heal somebody of the physical symptoms of those things but actually i think that our god is a god who wants to heal the structural inequalities and problems that lead to those things as well so when you talk about healing it's never enough to just talk about the symptoms and the physical physical problems or or disabilities that can come from those things it's a lot bigger than that I think yeah absolutely and she talks about Nancy Island who um, which is e-i-s-l-a-n-d um who wrote the disabled god and um Iceland says that just as Laura was saying that Jesus was perfect but he had a, a broken body um and Iceland talks about how um the fact that Christ's body is broken and that's something that we celebrate through um communion and um that when he is resurrected he still has the scars from um the crucifixion and so saying that jesus was perfect and had a scarred and less than beautiful uh, body in the way that the world would consider a beautiful body today does that make sense yeah and so laura was saying that that changed her idea of what perfect means that you can have uh, a body that is um disabled or in pain or illness and still be perfect yeah that's wonderful i'm actually reading um the body by paula gooder at the minute Mm. and she's it's a very interesting book about how or what the bible says about the body after death which is going off a tangent a bit here but um Mm. some people talk as if we have no body after death but mm. she's saying that the Bible very much talks about us having a body and a kind of and a very real body and a very um, amazing body. And she talks about where Paul talks about the resurrection body. She talked about online church, and we're obviously in the middle of a time when online uh, online church is very necessary, and people are turning to it quite hastily and quite quickly because of the circumstances of lockdown and not being able to um, worship physically together in this is coming out in January, but we're recording this in November and England has just gone into a second national lockdown. And I I think for a lot of um, Christians who have disabilities or chronic illnesses who aren't able to go into a physical church building 
even without a pandemic and who have turned to online community and online worship. It was interesting to hear Laura talk about how some of the people in You Belong got excited when churches were suddenly going online because they could then join in with the community they used to belong to in a setting that that they felt would would welcome them and work for them but that still even when churches are online they're not necessarily accessible to people with disabilities so she gave the example of um if somebody's deaf then zoom isn't going to work unless you have somebody signing um and so you've still got people who are excluded from that service what did you think about that discussion yeah it's really sad so I I've been over the last couple of years I've been going to some services where there is somebody who is deaf and there's a signer and that's quite amazing I also um went on a retreat a couple of years ago where one of the priests was hard of hearing and used sign language as well as speaking. And that was just overwhelmingly magnificent. I just found it so moving and powerful when he was signing through the Eucharistic prayer, which mm. for non-Church of England people, that's when you have do communion, the communion prayers. Mm. It's beautiful. But why don't we have that in all churches? It's an additional effort for people to put in to make services more accessible. But even if you don't have anyone who is deaf or who is hard of hearing in your service, it doesn't hurt everybody else for there to be sign language there. And then it means that if somebody who needs that comes to a service and it's there already, they feel welcome and are more likely to stay <laughs> than if they have to attend a service and then request what they need and then either get turned down or have to wait until that can be put in place, which is a, a lot of emotional and physical energy to put on somebody and, and is a surefire way of making somebody feel different and not included. Yeah, And there's so many things like, Accessible physical accessibility, you know, how many of our platforms uh, or, or sort of stages at the front of church have a ramp? How many of them are wheelchair accessible? And even if you have a detachable ramp, it's, I know it's not always possible with older buildings and things, but if you have to physically get something out to accommodate somebody, then that again can make you feel like you're an anomaly. Yeah. Whereas if there's something always there, yeah. then that says to people at any given moment, if somebody who needs this wants to come to the front or preach or give a testimony or anything, we are ready and and they are welcome. Quite right. It's the it's society that disables people, not the disability. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I heard somebody once talk about not referring to people as able-bodied, but referring to people as not yet disabled. Yeah. Because if we live a long life, and, you know, it would be lovely if we do, 
the chances are that we are going to become disabled in one way or another, yeah. that we are going to lose the ability to do certain things. It's, it will happen to everybody who lives to a particular age. And so if we can see that that is the future in some way or other, and we are just not yet disabled, you know, you and I, Alison, as able-bodied people, then it may make people more likely to accommodate and to prepare and to look around them with the, with a different eye. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. I, the whole thing about being not yet disabled is is a good thing to think. I I quite like people to care enough about other people, though, not just about what the potential for them now. And I suppose you're an that, idealist, Alison. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm so naive. As I've said before, I'm so naive. I mean, it's interesting we're talking about this. It's the 25th anniversary of the um, Disability Discrimination Act this week. Oh, really? Yeah. That was such a, a landmark law that came into being and and the fighting that people had to do in order to be even noticed. You know, people threw themselves out of their wheelchairs and, and lay on the road in front of buses in London to get noticed so that they could actually, somebody would actually take any notice of them. Um, you know that was horrendous and then um, you know in my line of work working with people with um, things like dyslexia you know the Equality Act followed that and that was so significant you know people have been fighting for these laws to try and help people to be equal and and be recognized in society you know do you remember when um, new buildings had to have ramps and not not steps anymore and and that change you're probably too young to remember that um and churches have i think you're right churches have an obligation to be putting those things automatically rather than an, an add-on and so you know providing um sign language if we've got people who can do signing and you know having hearing loops i can't remember how many years it is we've been having those in church it's probably it's probably about 10 years it's probably since the equality act her most important thing for today, for Christian women of today, enabling equality for women with chronic illness to be incorporated to train as leaders. Really important. And again, we can, in, in, in the feminist movement in its various guises, um, it, it often serves the purposes of the majority, which is often white, usually middle class, able-bodied, straight women all of the all of the usual majorities and women with disabilities and chronic illnesses can get overlooked and I I thought her point about when she was studying theology at a training college and how if she was studying there now now that she has her chronic illness she wouldn't be able to attend because of the way that it is um, set up it wouldn't be accessible for her and so if our buildings aren't accessible and if our courses aren't accessible, then we will be missing out on other voices that need to be heard. And by courses being accessible, I think I mean having a variety of options of how to do a course. So yes, you can have residential study, but not everyone's in a position to move 
to a place and live on site and um, move their family if they have one or, you know, leave behind a job. And so having more part-time study, having more distance learning study, where people can do it in their own time. I think all of these things are important to make sure that the majority of voices are heard and included. She was saying that people with chronic illnesses have um, something really important to contribute to church life that's missing. And part of that is lament. Yeah. What did you think about that comment? Yeah, it reminded me of um, Joy Allen's episode when she talked about the importance of lament. Hmm. We need lament, don't we? And, uh, you know, that whole thing about everything can't be marvellous all the time. And the, and mm. and we need to engage with the reality that the Bible talks about um, mm. rather than just thinking everything should be incredibly happy all the time. We talked about this before, didn't we, and about how important the Psalms are in helping us to see that because some of them are happy and some of them are sad and, um, people struggling or maybe David or whoever it is in in whichever psalm struggling with their understanding of why they're going through what they're going through and why life is so difficult and you know almost mm. shouting at God what are you doing going back to Covid and where we are now with churches having to move online um, there seems to be a sense in a lot of places that this is a second best option and as soon as churches can physically open again that is what people want to do I think it'll change church forever on the topic of books so you talked about the Nancy Island book The Disabled God when I listened to Laura speaking I was also thinking about John Hull's book Disability the Inclusive Church Resource have you come across that Yes. No, so that, yeah, so John Hall, incredible um, theologian, but his book is talking about the failing of churches to engage with um, disability. So that's well worth a read. I'll put, I'll put that on the, um, the episode notes. Mm, thank you, Alison. I remember, I've, I think I've read one of his articles in the past, um, John Hall, um became blind later in life is that right Alison yeah that's right and he um I remember in this article him talking about the language that we use in churches um often paints blindness in a very negative light and we talk about I once was blind but now I see and so the idea of blindness being associated with um a lack of understanding a lack of faith all of these different ideas in the metaphors that we use again which points it back a bit to the um Rhiannon Grant episode about metaphor and the power of our language and I suspect that a lot of the language we use in churches is very ableist by which I mean it favours able-bodied people's experience and paints any kind of disability as negative um and I think it's important to be on the lookout for the metaphors we use like that um and how they might uh, sound or appear to people with disabilities yeah absolutely I think we're all culpable in that in just the same way that we say um we associate negative things with um darkness and black um and that language needs to change as well 
Yeah. In the, in the same way that as women, we can be hurt by language that's a, that assumes the maleness of God. We all have our areas that we're unaware of and um, we, we're blinkered to our own experience, aren't we? Um, and like Sharon Prentice says, it's looking around and saying, who's not here? Whose voice yeah. isn't being included here and why? And that, that usually points you in the right direction, doesn't it? Yeah, we've sure got to start doing that more. Mm. Have you got any other thoughts, Alison? No, I'm. I'm. I thought she was. Um, I think she was very clear and really interesting. And I, I'm looking forward to hear what she what ha, what she does in the future because I'm sure um, she's going to do incredible things with that group of people that she's collecting, and will inspire lots of other people. And I hope that there'll be a change in church. You know, um, things change slowly. This week we've had um, the first American vice president who's a a woman and who is a woman of Um, Mm colour. That's just, you know, step by step. We need to keep moving in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, (laughs) my dear sister... Not actually physical, relational sister. I mean sister, you know, in Christ. It's been an absolute delight to work with you over this last year and I will miss you, but I'm really grateful that you've worked with me and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and hearing what you do next. Yes, thank you so much for forcing me into this, Alison, a year ago. (laughs) I'm very glad that you did and it's been a wonderful experience and I know that you're going to go on to do wonderful things with the podcast. Thanks, Grace. (laughs) And um, thanks, listener, for joining us on this episode of the Recovering God podcast. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovering God podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe and tell others who you think will be interested. You can follow us on Twitter at Recovering God, on Instagram at Recovering underscore God, or contact us by email at recoveringgodpodcast at gmail.com.